Do you have a plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. It's Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And I'm your host, Cynthia Bryan, and welcome to our Hour of Power. I'm always happy to be here on Wednesdays on the Voice America Network, coming to you live. This is the Empowerment Channel. And we are brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity, a 501c3 to empower women, families, and youth at risk. Please visit the website, bethestarur.org. So Be The Star You Are is now working to help foster kids uh, a camp. And this week, uh, actually just uh, two days ago, we shipped several cases of brand new books for this camp for kids who are wards of the court and they have they have nothing. So if you can make a donation, that would be fantastic. Be the star you are dot org. Well, in our show today, it's going to be a potpourri of a lot of different things because I just feel that it's summer and I have so many things to talk about and to help you be aware of. So I want to bring that to the forefront. And also some things that are kind of fun. Um, we'll, we'll be talking in segment three about drowning, how it's the leading cause of injury-related death, especially for children's age one to four, and how teaching swimming is really recommended, as well as how to soothe sunburns and repair wounds and, you know, different foods. It's going to be some wellness things. In our second segment, do you remember cooties or did you ever say if you when you're little you know that the girls had cooties or the boys had cooties we're going to talk about where that came from and how it's still happening and in segment one we'll uh, talk about hyper local produce as well as what is happening in my own personal orchards but um, the miracle moment for today brought to you by be the star you are is from charles schultz Yesterday I was a dog, today I'm a dog, tomorrow I'll probably still be a dog, sigh, there's so little hope for advancement. And I bring you that because I want to give a tribute to a little special dog that died today, um, this morning, and it was Dulce Pero, who was Heather Brittany's um, rescue puppy that she got in 2002. And we're all really, really sad because Dulce, who which is spelled D-O-L-C-E, like the Italian word for sweet, it was actually pronounced like the Spanish word for for sweet, and as in Dulce, uh, because Heather didn't want to have her dog be thought of like a brand, you know, like Dulce, like Dolce Gabbana. <laughs> So, um, but in any case, Dulce was this fantastic little 
a three-pound puppy who was bigger than life that thought that she was a, um, a really, really, you know, gigantic dog. And in fact, she used to uh, sleep next to our 150-pound dog, Wolf, <laughs> and she was three pounds and never let anything scare her. But she was very loved. And so our condolences go out to Heather and Brian. And I just want her to know that we really care because Dulce really was just the sweetest and will not be forgotten. She had a wonderful life. And one of my favorite photos of Dulce is when I had rescued a baby squirrel. And the two of them played and played and played together. But the funny thing was, is the squirrel was chasing the dog. So that was a pretty a pretty funny um, thing to watch. And I have lots of pictures of that. So I will be posting some of those on, um, on Tumblr and Twitter and all of that. So if you go to any of my sites, which just usually end in Cynthia Bryan, uh, you'll be able to see some of those pictures. And now I will get to um, talking about the fruit frenzy that has been happening actually in my uh, my own garden. And I can't even believe it. I mean, the doves and I have been in a battle to consume the mulberries. The deer have already munched on all the lower branches. And now it's the sound of the happy cooing that surrounds me as the the birds are feasting on those blackberries of the mulberries because mulberries start off to be very red. And then when they're ready to eat, they turn black. Now, not many people have delighted in mulberries. And I really can't describe the flavors to you, but when we were kids, we had mulberry trees or bushes. And we used to sing, you know, all around the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel. And the monkey thought it was all in fun. Pop goes the weasel. Because we also, we didn't have monkeys, but we did have weasels that sometimes would get into the chicken coop. So we would chase each other with my, you know, my siblings and I, and then we would pull handfuls of this really delicious fruit from the tree. And my gigantic trees are shoots from that original mulberry bush that were actually offspring of trees that came from my grandparents, which were offsprings of trees that came from my great grandparents. So Unfortunately, the birds um, leave or leave me kind of only the red on ripe fruit, which won't get sweeter if you uh, pick it before maturity. However, this morning when I was up looking at the tree, and this has been going on for a couple of weeks, I want to tell you that. I looked at the tree and the red berries are turning black and I think I'm going to have a chance to go up and, and pick some. But my problem is once I get under that mulberry tree, I kind of eat as many as I possibly can. But all isn't lost. Because both my Queen Anne and my Bing cherry trees are absolutely brimming with these luscious ripe cherries. And while the birds are gorging on the mulberries, they have left my cherries alone. And in years past, I was really lucky just to harvest a handful of cherries before the birds arrived. But this year, and it might be because of the copious amounts of rain we had here in California, my orchard is just overflowing with fruit. And as we farmers like to say, we have a bumper crop this season. Well, May was always the month that ushered in the season of fruit picking for fam, uh, farm families where I grew up in um, 
Northern California on the farm. It usually began with cherries proceeding to plums and prunes and apricots and peaches, pears, figs, grapes, apples, and walnuts with blackberry, citrus, kiwi, and other varieties of vegetables, of course, ripening all through summer right through November. And most of the time, we would sell things directly from the farm or at local fruit stands or at co-op stands. And now, I think I might have been about four when my first job outside of our family farm occurred, and that was helping our neighbors harvest their cherries. Now, that neighbor's farm was just a maybe a little bit less than a mile away, and the first day of cherry picking was so highly anticipated. And, you know, my parents and my siblings and I, we would drive over at dawn in this World War II Willie Jeep. Sometimes we would ride our horses over there. Um, but the first day, you'd usually go over in the Jeep because you had to haul those ladders and buckets. And the ladders would be set up in the orchard with a pail dangling from a hook. And then we would climb up to as far as we could to the top of the tree to begin our haul. Now, paychecks were determined by the crates of cherries picked, not by the hours it took. And if you ever pick cherries, they're very small. <laughs> And it takes a long time to pick any amount. Now, my siblings and I, we absolutely love cherries. We craved them, actually. And I shamefully admit that for the first 30 minutes or so, I and probably they ate more cherries than we put into the bucket. Now, when dusk came, we would clamber back down those ladders. We'd climb into the Willie Jeep and we'd go home to make dinner. And around 9 p.m., that's when the stomach aches would begin. And one by one, in our tiny one bathroom in this house for seven people, it kind of became the communal vomitorium. (laughs) And I'm sure my parents commiserated with our suffering, but secretly they were happy that we were learning a valuable lesson on the very first day of harvest. And that is, you don't eat the profits. Now, for years after I got uh, sick the first time, I couldn't eat cherries, remembering that awful night. And as uh, farmers during the fruit season, we would set up roadside stands selling our freshly picked fruits and vegetables. And they'd always be at a fraction of the cost that was at the local supermarkets. And when we had an overabundance of produce, especially grapes, we would do something called U-Pick. And it's just the you and a pick. And we'd put these signs out and we'd offer people the opportunity to go into the orchards and fields. And they would get to go pick their own. And at that, it's even lower prices. They, um, you know, and this was interesting because we would have a chuckle about the city slickers. They would come from San Francisco or someplace, you know, in the Bay Area that, to us, was considered a city. Anything bigger than the farm was definitely a city. And men may be in suits, and women would be in high-heeled shoes, and they'd want to go picking. And they, too, would eat as much of the fruit as possible in the vineyards, and then they would arrive back at our paying station covered in dirt with only a small amount of grapes or whatever they were picking, and a visage that was green with nausea, And when they would ask where the restroom was, we'd point to the decrepit old outhouse or a tree behind the barn. (laughs) And, of course, uh, we would chuckle because there is a price to pay for eating the profits. 
So until I was 18, I really was a farm laborer. I worked not only on our farm, but I worked on as many of the neighbors' farms um, as well, picking, cutting, drying, sorting, and selling fruit. And all of us, all the kids, that is, we all drove tractors, we cut wood, we branded cattle, we pulled fences, we planted vegetables, we tilled the earth. We helped in whatever way requested, and that's what farm children do. Now, I had my own business raising chickens, so part of what I did is I also sold fresh eggs at these farm stands, and it was a fortunate upbringing. It was really the foundation for my work ethic and and the love of nature that I cherish today. But as the fruit frenzy continues in my mulberry tree, I actually have blissfully picked uh, several buckets um, already of the ripe cherries, and my family have been eating them. And if the birds remain focused on the mulberries or the almost ripe plums, I might be able to get another bushel, and I might be able to make a 4th of July um, cherry pie. So I'm hoping to the, hoping for that. So welcome to the summer bounty of local and fresh. And I guess history kind of is repeating itself because, hey, I am eating the profits. <laughs> um, I'm not going to sell these cherries. I'm just going to eat them. Now, when I talk about local, I want to talk about taking it to the next level. Uh, Sourcing food closer to home is really, really good for your community. It's good for your health. And moreover, it is wonderful for your taste buds. If there's one takeaway from the growth of farmers markets over the past few decades, in fact, just, you know, um, a statistic here. 395% increase in farmers markets since 1994 to 2017 is that I think people are getting an appetite for local food because what it means to eat close to home, it's taking on this new movement, you know, that we're calling hyper local eating that is really better for you. Now, the USDA defines local as within 400 miles of your home state, but hyper-local narrows it down, and that homes in on food that is actually within your own community, well, however you choose to define that. I mean, it could be your county, your city, your neighborhood. For me, it is my backyard. So if you've ever tasted a tomato or an orange or a grape straight from the vine or the tree, you know how much better fresh picked can taste. It is, I I mean, I am such a snob when it comes to things like this because I grow my own is I can't buy oranges, grapes, or tomatoes at the store or strawberries. They taste awful too. They all taste like plastic. So one nice thing of, of, um, super local or hyper local is the deliciousness that you're going to enjoy when you bring it home and it'll stay fresher longer it has more nutrition because every food on the uh, typical american plate today has traveled uh, 1500 to 2500 miles and that's according to the world watch institute so what happens to the nutrition well nutrition in fruits and vegetables break down once they're plucked from the garden. And the levels of antioxidants drop sometimes really significantly. 
depending uh, on when the harvest was and how the storage is. And so the nutritional benefit of eating locally and especially hyper-locally comes from the fact that you can, you're cutting that transit time from harvest to table and you're locking in a fruits, vegetables, and nutrients. So like if you take that tomato that is hours old, it is going to pack a much more vibrant nutritional punch than that tomato that was picked, you know, maybe two or three weeks ago that a big box retailer um, has, has on their shelf. Because so many, if you've ever passed on the freeway, these trucks that, like, I'll use tomatoes as an example again, where the tomatoes are green, that's because they're picking them green and then they're letting them redden up and it could be a couple of weeks. So, of course, um, eating food grown in your community also increases the transparency and the traceability and it also means that you're going to eat in season and that can boost the variety that's in your diet and encourages you to branch out of your comfort zone. And if you're looking to reduce your carbon footprint, going local is a really good bet. Now, hypolocal food doesn't have very far to travel, which means less energy for storage and less gas for transportation. And then since food sold in farmer's markets is uh, usually or frequently maybe organic, that means less use of synthetic pesticides, herbicides, uh, fertilizers, and Usually when things are grown organically, there's just, you know, a very caring um, a stewardship that goes on. So it can also help reduce food waste because when you buy food locally that is grown and harvested, you're buying what we call time because industrial food may sit for days or weeks um, just waiting for transportation across the country which means it might only have a few days on the supermarket shelf before it spoils. So local produce is typically harvested and then delivered um, within the same day or at least, you know, a day and a half. So if industrial produced foods are bred and grown for long-term storage, they're really not very tasty and they're definitely not very nutritious. So there is a pretty universal agreement that hyperlocal is good for the community. It means putting your dollars back into the places where you work, you live, and you play. And also remember there are community gardens, and community gardens can bring people together to grow, to harvest, and to prepare foods. And, of course, it keeps um, dollars within communities, and it promotes health. And before I go to break, I just want to give you a few tips of what you can do uh, in July as a gardening guide. So make sure to trim dead leaves, stems, flowers from any indoor plants and cut back to the stalk. By trimming, you're going to stimulate the regrowth. Wear gloves when you're working with okra, jalapenos, or chilies because you might get an itchy, painful rash. If you do get a reaction... You can make a paste of oatmeal mixed with water and spread it on the rash, let it dry. It's not pretty, but it works. And this works pretty well with poison oak or poison ivy as well. Right now, hydrangeas are beautiful, so you can cut them. And you can have a a nice um, 
a long-lasting arrangement that actually looks nice when it's dried. Uh, my preferences are the deep pink or the magenta blooms that dry to that really pretty bluish purple. Don't forget to make your own compost with food scraps. Now, no meat products, but it's very easy to keep a covered plastic container in your refrigerator, and you can toss eggshells and coffee grinds, including paper filters, corks, tea bags, vegetable scraps or cuttings, you know, flowers. And then once a week, empty your container into a bin or a pile in your garden. Mix it with some leaves, some shredded newspaper lawn clippings, keep it damp, turn it with a pitchfork or a shovel as often as you can. And usually within about three months, you have a really rich compost to return to your garden beds or to your containers. Don't forget to apply sunscreen every two or three hours. I'm really bad at it. And of the many ingredients in all sunscreens, the one that protects the most is the zinc oxide. You can um, soothe sunburns and heal wounds with the antibacterial property plant aloe vera. I'll talk to you more about that in our third segment. And um, if it's chilly outside, you know there are those tabletop gas heaters that work al fresco, and those are, are really, really great. It depends where you are, but right now is pretty much harvest time for plums and cherries, mulberries, apricots. And there's other fruit ripening in your yard. So um, if you don't grow your own, you might want to just take a trip to a back road, like I was telling you earlier, and you can purchase fresh produce from a fruit stand. But remember to wear practical clothing and shoes, no high heels, right? This is a beautiful time of the year to look up at the night sky and count the stars. Throw a blanket outside, and if you have a lawn or go to the park, and just look up, and you, I think you're going to find the twinkling just so wonderful. And um, for those in fire areas, fire season has arrived. Be careful and heed red flag warnings. Uh, I did um, write an article about how to... Keep, um, you know, make your garden fire safe. There's no fire proof. So you can find that at my website, CynthiaBryan.com, if you go under published articles. And, of course, we want to wish you a very happy and safe 4th of July. I hope you'll enjoy either a picnic or walk, watch some local fireworks or, you know, hang out with friends or whatever it is. Just be safe and be happy. Well, we're going to take... Just a very short break, and then I will be back with more of Star Style. Be the star you are, and uh, I am Cynthia Bryan. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network, and uh, let's see. Oh, yes, well, we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about cooties, <laughs> so stay tuned. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 
925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR, and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. Well, we're back. We're live. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. So when you were a kid and playing on the playground, did you have that game where you all freaked out about something called cooties? I do remember that. I mean, the word first appeared during World War I as soldiers slang. It was for that horrible body lice that infested the trenches. And then it went mainstream in 1919 when a Chicago company incorporated the pest into what was called the cootie game. And it was where a player maneuvered these colored cootie capsules across a painted battlefield and they went into a cage. And that cooties concept has been literally evolving ever since. Now, the most familiar incarnation has the features of a real infectious disease, even as it says a good deal about what, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds think of the opposite sex. I mean, it used to be that little girls, all they know that boys have cooties, and little boys, they know that girls have cooties. And when you catch cooties, ew, you t- catch them by touching So there'd be these shrieking games of cootie, like a cootie tag. And, um, of course, everybody would be, you know, would get contagious very quickly. But it could be treated with a origami cootie catcher or it would be better to be vaccinated. Now, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember this. We didn't do the vaccination thing, but. The way the vaccination thing works for these uh, cootie catchers is a friend has a retractable pen and your friend clicks the pen onto your arm and they chant circle, circle, dot, dot. Now you have your cootie shot. And then that meant that you were good. Now, there's folkloric archives and Internet forum threads that they show that there's a lot of regional variations of this therapeutic Regimen, for example, in Louisville, the charm is line, line, dot, dot, operation cootie shot. In Los Angeles, kids go pinch, pinch in lieu of the dot, dot. And in Hawaii, the process is known as an uku shot. I found that kind of interesting. But to historians and social scientists, the cootie phenomena isn't just a child's play. I mean, 
kids are their own society. They have their own cultural touchstones. But this is not just a children's tradition. The purpose of something like the cootie shot has been passed down from generation to generation. So it must be profoundly important if all these kids are choosing to participate in it. Now, kids, um, well, play, as we know, helps kids make sense of new ideas. And it helps them experience uh, emotions and not to mention traditional gender roles. So the cootie shot itself is a part teaching tool. It's a part coping mechanism. But there's a real emergence these days in the form of cooties that is very different from the cooties that were in the 1950s. Because in the 1950s, that polio vaccine was becoming ubiquitous. And so um, the, the spike in the game cooties became more popular. Now, then that kind of died out, I guess, for a while. But then there was a spike in popularity in the 1980s during the height of the AIDS epidemic. So, but nowadays what cooties are doing, they're reflecting other concerns. And it's kind of nasty because it's particularly about physical appearance. For example, when a child is obese, and the sad part about that is 20% of children in the United States, according to the Center for Disease Control, have been diagnosed as obese. That's one in five children are considered obese. So what because there's this greater influence, you know, emphasis these days on body shaming, the cootie game has become like um, a real virus almost, where you know you see someone who's overweight and you say that they have cooties. And I think that probably the cootie game will be around for a long time because It plays to uh, everyone's insecurities. And as long as we have insecurities to play out, we'll have to have some games to play them out. But there was a time when not just kids had cooties, but women had cooties. As early as 1921, there was a dice game called Cootie. And it was a favorite for those wedding showers that used to happen all the time. And women competed in teams of two to draw that bug, to draw the cootie bug, that had tormented many of their husbands-to-be during the war. Because this is 1921, you know, the war, this, the, the war um, was in 1918. So what it was is a six earned the team a cootie body, if you got six points. If you got five, you got a head. If you got four, you'd get um, a leg. You know, and it kind of went on like that. So the game was really popular among brides. And then in 1949, a Minnesota inventor created that 3D version in which players built cooties from those colorful plastic pieces. And it became such a big hit with children And the cootie game is still in production today. That just is amazing that it's been around since 1949 and is still as popular uh, today as it was um, as it was then. That because it's amazing how things just keep going and going even in this day and age. Now, um, 
wellness. So wellness is something that I'm, I really am big on. And I said that I would tell you a little bit more about the aloe vera plant in segment one, because it really is very helpful, especially now that it's summer. It is such a healing plant, and it can do so much more than just soothe the sunburn, which a lot of people use it for. And, and when I say the, I mean, a lot of people just buy aloe vera, but a really smart thing to do is to buy an aloe vera plant. And you don't have to have a big one. You can just keep it on your windowsill or, you know, if you have a balcony or a counter or whatever. It is like a succulent. But you just can pick a piece off when you have an injury and it will help immensely. And I'm going to just tell you some of the things that it does. So it stems uh, stores water and it creates a clear gel-like substance that contains vitamins and antioxidants minerals and amino acids and what you use that stem for is um, the leaves the goo in the leaves it contains compounds that suppress inflammation so you, you oh, do a patch test first though to see whether you're sensitive to any other things um, in the aloe vera and especially if you are buying a aloe vera product that might have something besides 100% aloe vera you don't want to put it on inflamed skin without testing it first. But it also uh, can fight acne. It goes beyond its antibacterial properties because it has silicic acid, which is an exfoliant that unplugs the pores, and it can act as an anti-inflammatory on any acne-producing oil glands. So that is a really good thing for as teens and preteens you know, that are fighting acne. It also speeds up repair and healing. So it contains agents known to inhibit fungi, bacteria, and viruses. And it is known to help speed um, the healing of wounds. I remember several years ago when I was diving, scuba diving in the Cayman Islands. And I kicked and I got on a, um, a sea urchin. I got the spine in my in my leg and you know if you know what sea urchins the spine is like a hook so it's very difficult to get out in fact I actually had to have surgery once to have a sea urchin spine taken out of my ankle because it just wouldn't come out but in any case it got all inflamed and was really painful and there wasn't any uh, I didn't have any medication with me there wasn't any pharmacy open but uh, on the grounds where I was staying they had aloe vera plant and I just went and I picked a couple of the stems and I rubbed it on my wound. And sure enough, I was able to heal. So that was really um, a really a good thing. So um, aloe vera, just remember, try to go and get a plant as a succulent. It's very pretty, I think, uh, too. But you can just use it for anything. I like to keep it near my kitchen. Because I'm a cook, and at, when I cook, I burn myself from time to time. Or, you know, you're slicing onions or garlic, and somebody talks to you, and you cut your fingers. So having that aloe vera is just really helpful. Another health thing is it's probably good to sweat to stay sharp. Now, because cognitive decline probably isn't on your mind at this very moment while we're on the radio 
But um, something that can reduce your risk of dementia, it is thought, is if you go outside, hit the trails, and go for a walk or a run. And a lot of research is showing that older adults that have mild cognitive impairment, and that could be a precursor to Alzheimer's disease or dementia, by the way, who they do, if they do some moderate intensity cardio workouts and especially walking or running four times a week, in a three month period, they perform significantly better on cognitive tests. And why is that? It's because cardio may regulate uh, blood flow and helping to improve the brain function and it keeps you sharp. And of course, now that we know that being out in nature is really good for you because um, it, it, it helps relieve stress as well as uh, taking your mind off of other things that are happening. And it opens you up to so many other um, wonderful sounds and sights and tastes and smells that the more you do outside, the better it is for you. Now, sunburns, okay, well, it's summer, and um, people are out in the sun, so you've got to make sure that you are going to be wearing your sunscreen. However, um, it can be a little bit a, a little bit difficult to know what to do on what kind of physical block to take. But as I said in segment one, there's uh, zinc oxide is like a main ingredient in sunscreen, and we know it works. The other one that we know that works is called titanium dioxide. But there are about 14 other active ingredients in most sunscreens. And the FDA is now investigating them because nobody knows what they might do. In fact, it's a little bit frightening to think that they might be associated with endocrine disruption. So uh, when you do sunscreen, go for the bigger numbers You want to at least get an SPF broad spectrum 30 and put it on you. Read the label carefully and make sure to reapply every few hours. I'm really bad about that because I'll put it on in the morning and then I just forget the rest of the day. But also just remember that there's no such thing as waterproof or sweatproof um, SPF. So you want one that at least can last 40 minutes or 80 minutes that will say water resistant, but there's no such thing as waterproof. So don't get, um, don't get caught up in that thinking that there is something in waterproof. Well, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we will have more right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. Don't go away. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Today I want to talk about time management and choice management. Are you clear on your values? Are you able to state them clearly? And if you can, you have a chance to make better choices with your time. After all, how can you possibly expect to make good choices if you don't know the boundaries inside which your decisions need to be made? So there are a few places to start. Ask yourself, what is your mission and your vision? 
Why does your organization exist and what is your ultimate goal? Choices must be based on these missions and vision statements always. Without these clearly in focus, the drift is inevitable and choices will be difficult. If they're not clear for you personally or organizationally, why not find out? Goals. The lowest level and perhaps the most concrete of the factors are our goals. Are your goals clear? Are they meaningful? Are they understandable? Do people know what they need to do to reach them? Are you making them visible to everyone all the time? Goals keep us clear on what we need to do every day. And as leaders, the choice we make matters. But they matter twice because they matter for the results we personally get and they matter for the choices others make when they watch us. Therefore, we must not only make good choices, but we must help others see how we are making them too. So remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style with another business bite. Visit CynthiaBryan.com for more information or to book a consultation. That's CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, we're continuing our show, and we're talking more about wellness and health and different things that you can do to protect yourself this summer. So the one thing are eating some eggs. Now, I raise chickens. I have fresh eggs, and there's nothing better. Well, there's so many things, but eggs are really, really good for you. Now, I a lot of people, eggs do get a bad rap from time to time, but they're so easy to prep, and they're packed with protein and healthy fats. And it's a smart idea to keep some on hand for quickie meals, especially in the summer. And uh, hard-boiled eggs are pretty much a nutrition no-brainer. And if you want to cook them just perfectly, instead of just boiling them, put insert a steamer rack and bring water to a boil over high. And then add your eggs, cover the pot, and cook for, if you like them really hard, like 12, 13 minutes. If you like them kind of medium, cook them for 9 minutes and then dip them in of cold water or water like ice water for about five minutes and you're going to have a really perfect egg 
One large hard-boiled egg contains 70 calories. It has 6 grams of protein, 3 grams of healthy unsaturated fat, no carbs, no added sugars, and it has a lot of other nutrients like B vitamins um, and selenium. And you can store your unpeeled hard-cooked eggs in the fridge for up to a week. If you peel them, only about two days. And here's a tip on peeling is you want to have eggs that are a bit older because the the fresher an egg is, the harder it is to peel. So if your eggs are at least a week or two weeks old, just peel them under cold water, and that should be much easier. If you buy eggs at the farmer's market, you might want to wait several days because they'll probably be fresher. They came from the grocery store. You're probably good to go just as is because they've probably been around for a little bit of time. So you're probably all right there. Uh, Swimming. So it used to be that people didn't teach their kids to swim until they were like three or four. But it's a really sad fact. Drowning is the number one cause of death, injury-related death, for children ages one to four. So to prevent these tragedies, the American Academy of Pediatrics has revised its recommendation for the age when kids should start swimming lessons. And they changed it from starting at four to starting at one. So that means that about the time toddlers start walking, they can start learning to feel more comfortable in a pool under an instructor's supervision. Now, previously, experts believed that toddlers weren't developmentally ready to start learning swimming basics. But according to the updated guidelines, children's age to four will be less likely to drown if they've had some formal swimming instruction. So... Consider visiting a pool as a family, and if you have little toddlers, uh, definitely see about getting them into swim lessons. If you have a swim team in your area, uh, many of the swim teams will have a team for like six and under. I know that Heather Brittany started on a swim team when she was three, and it was really very cute. She would hang on to the rope and wave to everybody and all the meets. She, and it was, uh, it, was, it was very fun to watch, but she became a terrific swimmer, in fact, a champion swimmer. So you can hone your swimming skills while keeping a close eye on your little kids. So that's one thing for you to do is get the kids swimming earlier. Now, how can you, uh, how can athletes stay safe in the heat? This is a real problem. You've probably read in the news there's been several young athletes, you know, 17 years old, 19 years old, that they they die of a heat stroke after, um, you know, playing football or, you know, especially kids that are getting ready for like a summer workout of, of, of a sport. And um, they're not, they're not heating, or their coaches aren't helping them, you know, to be hydrated, etc. So athletes sustain heat stroke fatalities in football more than any other uh, sport, though other sports aren't immune. So the risk factors for heat illness include intrinsic factors like those that the athlete may have and extrinsic factors that those are related to the environment. So if you're like obese or dehydrated or sleep deprived or sunburned 
or you have a sickle cell trait, that would be an intrinsic factor. An extrinsic factor would include the temperature outside, the humidity, the amount of clothing, the equipment. And heat illnesses range from mild to life-threatening. And likely the most important factor to prevent heat illness is the athlete's hydration status. So athletes should weigh themselves before and after exercise as pre- and post-exercise body weight is a measurable indicator of an athlete's loss of fluid. Ideally, replace about 16 to 20 ounces of fluid for every pound lost. It sounds like a lot, but it's very, very important. Urine color is another one. It should be pale yellow to clear. Now, athletes should have an overall hydration strategy of drinking fluids, eating fruits, and other foods that are high in water content. And people who are uh, who sweat a lot, especially salty sweaters, should eat salty foods as well to replace that salt loss. When replacing fluids, cold drinks can be more effective than room temperature drinks and liquids with electrolytes and sugar such as sport drinks they really do improve the ability for water to enter the body's cells and to promote rehydration and by contrast plain water consumption during rapid sweat loss over an extended period of time actually causes an overall loss of salt from the body and then that can cause low sodium levels And then that becomes a really, really dangerous condition. So athletes exercising in the heat um, more than 60 minutes, they should be consuming sport drinks and water instead of just plain water. So just really remember that. Send your kids out or if you are a young person and you're playing a sport or even if you're an old person and playing a sport, good for you. Um, make sure to have some sport drinks with you. Now, what are some of the preventions? Education plays a critical role in prevention of heat-related illnesses. So athletes and coaches and parents um, and trainers, they, they're all really necessary to recognize the early simple measures that can be taken, and that, which could prove life-saving. If you're an obese athlete, you've got to be monitored more closely because your risks are greater. And it's important to pay attention to clothing and equipment because those can decrease the body's ability to cool itself. Like football, like the football pads, they're just so hot. So a universally recognized strategy to prevent heat illness is to allow athletes to build a tolerance to exercising in the heat, which is called you know, acclimating to the heat. And that can take one or two weeks and maybe slightly longer for teenagers. Athletes should be exposed gradually in increasing levels of exertion, the equipment wear, and the time of day in the heat. And as summer workouts start up for football and other sports, this need for acclimatization is crucial. And although it's really overlooked so much. So if you want to have a minimum risk of heat illness, make sure to acclimate. Uh, let's see, here are just a few symptoms of heat exhaustion. If you have cool, moist skin with goosebumps when in the heat, heavy sweating, feeling faint, dizzy, fatigue, or weak, rapid pulse, low blood pressure upon uh, standing, if you get any muscle cramps or nausea or a headache, and that's from the Mayo Clinic. And the treatment 
The most severe form of heat illness is heat stroke, and it is life-threatening, and you need to call 911. A rapid cooling of the body in an ice bath is the kind of the gold standard of treatment And once an athlete shows signs of heat stroke. The clock is really ticking, and the athlete has a much better chance if those measures are taken within 30 to 60 um, minutes. But the days are going to get hotter this summer, so take frequent breaks, drink plenty of electrolyte-rich liquids, and call for professional help when necessary. And, of course, have fun and stay safe out there. It is summer after all. Well, that is our show for today. We hope that it will keep you healthy and well and also provide a little bit of humor with the Cooties segment. Thanks for being great listeners and allowing me in to your life every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. where we come to you live right here on the Voice America Network. And this is the Empowerment Channel. To make a donation to Be The Star You Are, please visit bethestarur.org. If you want to find out more about Star Style, you can go to starstyleradio.com. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. Cherish the past, dream of the future. And celebrate today because this is the only time that we have. And until next week when we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. And go out tomorrow and have a wonderful Independence Day. And remember that freedom was never and will never be free. So appreciate what we have today and be safe. So happy 4th of July. Fly that red, white, and blue. And I am proud to be an American. I'll be with you next Wednesday. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.